Well, good morning. Hey, Merry Christmas. Uh, it is so good to be here at Oakwood Christian Church, and I want to thank Eric Keller for asking me to speak. Uh, this is an incredible sermon series, uh, No Insignificant Story, and I'm just delighted to be a part of it. Uh, if you take a look, there are approximately 7 billion people in the world, 308 million people in the United States, right at 4 million people in the state of Oklahoma, the great state of Oklahoma. Amen. Okay. I just thought there might be an amen or two. Okay. I'll try that again. Approximately 4 million people in the great state of Oklahoma. There you go. There you go. Okay, there's about 62,603 people in Garfield County, about 53,000 people here in Enid, Oklahoma, America, okay? There's about 1,300 people in Oakwood Christian Church, uh, somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And so when you think about all those people, yeah, you know, you have to ask the question, who are you? Who am I? I mean, there's a search for significance. So we ask questions like, how can God know all? How can he work through all? And who am I to him? Who am I to this great God? And does he even know me? I mean, evolution tells us that we're an accident. I got to tell you, I studied and, and bought into, I really bought into evolution when I was in high school. That's what I was taught. And man, I, I bought into it. And it was like, okay, I'm, I'm a result of some cosmic accident. And I got to tell you, that kind of thought led me literally to the brink of suicide. Because if I'm just an accident... Let me tell you, the Christmas story tells us that we are significant. That's what the story tells us. So this morning, I want to look past even the baby Jesus to what God may be telling us about the Christmas story itself. I mean, the background of that story. I read through it several times, uh, and I took a look at, at my part. Uh, there are no insignificant people in the kingdom of God. That's what we're talking about today. In the Christmas story, there's no insignificant people. So here's what I want you to get. Before you walk out of here today, I want you to get the idea that there are no insignificant people in the kingdom of God. I love that statement because that makes me significant and you significant. So here's what I want to do. I want to repeat that statement and then I want you to repeat it back to me. Okay, here you go. I'm going to say it. There are no insignificant people in the kingdom of God. You ready? Go. There are no insignificant people in the kingdom of God. In fact, right now, just turn to the person next to you and just remind them, hey, there are no insignificant people in the kingdom of God. Go. <laughs> All right, that's enough. You know, you know what I, you know what I can hear. It's like, hey, you're two people speaking at the same time. But I think you got it. I think you got it. Look, when you look at the Christmas story, and sometimes we don't see this part. 
literally to the little known people and what kinds of people God used even in the, the birth of Jesus. It shows us something very powerful. So this morning, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke, the second chapter. A lot of times at Christmas, we read Luke, the second chapter, but hold your finger in Luke, the first chapter, because we're going to be moving from Luke 2 to Luke 1. I want you to notice what are seemingly insignificant people in this Christmas story. Okay, so first of all, if you're taking notes, write this down. First of all, God chose the elderly. God, yeah, I heard one amen. Okay, all of you who are elderly, say amen about this time. Amen. There you go. Now we know who's the elderly in our group. Okay, <clears throat> look, take a look in the Bible. Luke 2, verse 25. We see a little known person named Simeon. Here's what it says. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. It's pretty amazing. He's an older guy, almost near death, it says. And you know what happens? Simeon was the first one, this elderly man was the first one to bless the child. Now we take a look at Anna. Anna, in Luke 2, verse 36, there was also a prophetess, Anna. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. This elderly woman was the first to announce, listen, she was the first to announce the redemption of Jerusalem. You know, we ask the question, what good are the old? I mean, they've done their work, right? They should just sit back now and let the young people do their thing, right? No, no. The elderly are significant in the kingdom of God. I'll say it again, elderly folks, it's your cue. The elderly are significant to the kingdom of God. Yeah. Listen, in history, we take a look, Boniface. There's a a little known man named Boniface. Boniface was 74 years old, and he thought, look, what do I have to lose? If they kill me, it's okay. I'm, I'm close to death anyway. So Boniface started preaching, and, and, and he preached on the street corners. He preached to everybody he could, and a whole city came to Christ because of that elderly man. And not only that city, but the whole country that he was in, Bohemia. Not only that country, but all of Europe was evangelized, and it caused this great revival to take place from one elderly man, or Caspar Caspitz. He was 80 years old, and there was severe persecution taking place. And Caspar said, what? You know, what have I got to lose? I'm 80 years old. So he just stood up and started, started shouting out about Christ being his Lord. And who was going to kill this elderly man? Nobody wanted to do that. Another revolution another revival took place 
all in that country. Man, I, I got to tell you, when I turn like 84, I'm thinking maybe I'm just drop me in the middle of the Middle East, right? Uh, I mean, and just let, I got nothing to lose. And let me just do a little preaching right there in Saudi Arabia, wherever, you know, and just like, okay, let me go out that way. I mean, it's tragic in the church that many of the elderly say, well, now I'm retired. Really? You know, if you retire from your job, then you have more, more time to work in the ministry of Jesus Christ. We got a couple of people at Dallas Christian College, I got to tell you, they're elderly. They retired and they called me up and said, hey, is there anything that we could do at a Christian college where we could, because we're retired, we could do full-time volunteer? They're transforming our whole campus. Kind of weird names, Mama Sue and Fat Daddy. <laughs> but they retired and said, we, you know, Norm Miller, who's president and CEO of Interstate Batteries, I was in a meeting with him. He said, look, I'm an old guy now. I don't want to be swinging at the wind. I want to do everything I can for the cause of Christ. I remember Mrs. Ollie Gaines. She was in the, she was an elderly woman in the first church where I, I served full time. She was elderly and could not come to the church services, but I took her communion and I went and visited her every week. She was like about 86 years old, 84. And I would just sit and listen to her stories from the scripture and her stories from a life lived for Jesus Christ. And I gotta tell you, to this day, I was encouraged by her teaching. I was encouraged by, by her life. A, a young youth pastor was just blown away and encouraged by an elderly woman who finally was teaching until she retired to heaven. Let me tell you, to the elderly here, there are no insignificant people in the kingdom of God. Would you say that with me? There are no insignificant people in the kingdom of God. Second, God chose the middle-aged. God chose the middle-aged. Look at Luke, the first chapter, verse 5. You see Zechariah. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. Both of them, Zechariah and his wife, I'll talk about her in a minute, were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. They were both well along in years. So middle age, what use is Zechariah? Zechariah became the father of John the Baptist. How about his wife, Elizabeth? Back at Luke 1, verse 5. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Elizabeth, middle-aged Elizabeth, gave birth to the greatest prophet of all time, the one who would literally be the forerunner of Jesus Christ, who would proclaim that the Messiah had come. But, you know, it's interesting. They were middle-aged, and they doubted God could use the middle-aged. I mean, Luke 1, 
Verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. I'm middle-aged. Zechariah literally says, look, I'm a middle-aged guy going through midlife crisis. I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. How how could God use me? Elizabeth says, I'm a middle-aged woman without a child. I'm too old now. How could God use me? And I love what the angel says. The angel says, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. What's the good news? It's not only about the child, but the good news is, are you ready? Say it with me. Here's the good news. There are no insignificant people in the kingdom of God. You ever heard of William and Claire Booth? Middle-aged folks, empty nesters were saying, what could we do for the kingdom of God? And they were in London, and they noticed, they noticed that the labor laws were in effect, so the children worked in the factory, so they couldn't have an opportunity for education. And so they started a school right before, and they told the kids, look, if you come before, one hour before church starts, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll teach you how to read and write, and we'll use the Bible as, as, as our text. And so they started what we call now Sunday school. And they also started the Salvation Army that, to, to work with the poor. And they're still continuing that ministry years and years and years later. Just a couple of middle-aged folks. Or how about even Martin Luther? He was, he was middle-aged when he started the Reformation movement that transformed the church. Man, you might be sitting there going, hey, I, you know, I'm middle-aged. I'm kind of used up. I, I really don't have... No, no. God can use you. Why? Say it with me. There are no insignificant people in the kingdom of God. How about this? Third, if you're taking notes, write it down. God chose teenagers. Yes, even those people. Okay, teenagers, let me hear an amen. Come on. That's what I'm talking about. Teenagers have taken a lot of heat from adults, but God chose teenagers. Two very popular, those that you know, Mary and Joseph. Look at Luke 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Oh my goodness. Who else but a teenager could God come to, for real, could God come to and say, look, I know you're a virgin, but here's what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit's going to come on you and impregnate you, and you will give birth to the Savior of all mankind, okay? And you're going to have to deal with that. And I mean, who else, who else besides a teenager would go, yeah, okay. It's never happened before, never happened since. Yeah, let's do that. I mean, that's what she says. Let it be as you said. Or what about Joseph? Luke 2, verse 4. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea 
to Bethlehem, the town of David. He went there to be registered with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Who else but a teenage young man would say, an angel would come in a dream and say, hey, Joseph, uh, you, you know, I want you to let, let you know that, that the young lady that you're engaged to is pregnant, but it's okay Still want you to hang out with her. In fact, be, be uh, engaged. There's going to be some conflict. There's going to be some rumors, but I want you to do that. Who else but a teenager would go, okay, let's do that. Who else but teenagers would be so daring, so ready to accept whatever God said to do? I attend a church I'm a leader of a church in the Dallas area, Compass Christian Church, uh, before, and it's about 5,000 members. Before that, it was known as Bedford Christian Church. And I got to tell you, the, the youth minister there called me up one day and he says, hey man, do you have anything that high school young people could do? Because man, there's a lot of bickering and arguing going on in the youth group. And I just would love for them to, to do some kind of service. I said, well, every Wednesday night we're going under the bridge in inner city Dallas and we're feeding about 250 homeless. Maybe they could go with us. He said, okay, let's try that. So they went under the bridge we were feeding about 250 homeless guys, and, and the, the high school youth group said, man, we love this. We could do this. And so every Wednesday night, every Wednesday, I don't, I don't care if Wednesday was on a Christmas day, every Wednesday night, the young people would get out, of, get out of school, and they would drive up to Valley View Christian Church, where elderly people, my father included, were cooking up food for them to pick up and take down and serve to the homeless under the bridge. Man, they would love on those homeless people, they would hug them, they would pray with them, and then they would feed them, and then they would take the food, all the, all the stuff back, and they would take it back to the elderly folk. They would clean the dishes. Then they would go to Wednesday night Bible study. Can you imagine what that Wednesday night Bible study was like? Man, it's like, what did you experience? What happened with you? And I'm telling you, out of that youth group, man, there came missionaries. There came pastors. There came youth pastors. There were, there were those who literally went to medical school so they could work to, to serve the poor. And you know what happened to that church? It started exploding. I mean, it just transformed the whole church from that high school youth group. You know why? Say it with me. Because there are no insignificant people in the kingdom of God. I got to tell you, when I first started youth ministry, I was down in Austin, Texas, and there was this, there was this young teenage girl. I called her Minnie Mouse, not to her face, not to her face. But she had this high squeaky voice. Hi, Mark. How are you today? And she sounded like Mickey Mouse. Okay, so, so <clears throat> but, but at the beginning of this one summer, when I, was, when I first started there, she said, hey, Mark. She called me up. Hey, Mark, I got a friend. Uh, I, I'd love for you to come and share the gospel with her because I think she might be ready to accept Christ. So I went over to her house and I shared the message of Jesus. And that young lady accepted Christ. And, and we went up to the church building that day and baptized her. And it wasn't long before Lisa, just a high school young girl, she called me up and she said, Mark, I got another one. <laughs> I said, okay, I'll come over. She said, no, 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 I listened to what you said. 
And I just said some of those things, and she's ready to be baptized. Could you meet us up at the church building? Went up to the church building, baptized another one. I, 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 I'll never forget. She called up. Hey, Mark, I got another one. I said, Lisa, why don't I just give you a church to the uh, key to the church building? Okay, you can just go up there and do it. Over that summer, she won five, five of her, her brothers and to Jesus Christ. Summer. Let me tell you, God can use a squeaky voice little girl for the kingdom. Why? I just love saying this, so let's say it again. Why? Because there are no insignificant people in the kingdom of God. Fourth, write this down. God chose the rich and the poor. Matthew 2, 1, okay, slightly altering from Luke. The Magi says, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Eric's going to preach a powerful sermon about these guys right here. Listen, the wise and the rich seek him. They were the first to bring gifts to the king. How about the shepherds, the poor? Luke 2 verse 8 says, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. They were living there. They were incredibly poor. The poor find hope in Christ. Even Mary and Joseph, hey, even Mary and Joseph were considered poor. How do we know that? The lowest sacrifice you could give, God made it where the lowest sacrifice you could give was two doves. The poorest of the poor could give two doves. And you know what Mary and Joseph gave as a sacrifice when they took, when they took Jesus to be circumcised? Two doves. I mean, you think about it. What was God doing? What was God doing to drop Jesus, the very Son of God, into an incredibly poor family? I'll tell you what God was doing. He was showing, you ready, that there are no insignificant people in the kingdom of God. How about number five? God chose male and female. Hey, guys, let's hear an amen. God chose you. Yeah, the guy's a little weak. Okay, we'll try it again. And God chose men. A little better, a little better. Men have a role in the kingdom of God. Hey, by the way, women, you ready? And so do women. Oh, there it goes. God uses men of all ages and backgrounds to serve him. Look, John the Baptist proclaimed. Zechariah sang. The shepherds bowed. The magi gave. Joseph obeyed. Simeon preached. And Jesus saved. God uses women of all ages and backgrounds to serve him. Anna was the first to announce redemption of man. Elizabeth gave birth to a great prophet. Mary sang and gave birth to the Messiah. Women supported the ministry of Jesus. You know what that tells us? It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor or male or female. What does it tell us? There are no insignificant people in the kingdom of God. And six, God chose a baby. What good are babies? God chose a baby, Luke 2, verse 7, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them. In the end, a little baby who had become the savior of all mankind. 
What good's a baby? One of my favorite illustrations of all time, in fact, I've shared it here. And the reason I've shared it so many times is because it was such a powerful moment in my life. In the church where I served, I was teaching children's church. And after children's church one Sunday, a little baby, five years old, curly, red-headed Tracy Moss. Skinny little girl was following me around. She was holding on my coattail. And I was walking around saying hi to everybody. And finally, she just jerked on my coattail. And I looked down. And little skinny Tracy Moss said, come here. (laughs) And I got down on one knee. And I was looking her right in the eye. And she took a bony, skinny little finger. And she touched me on my shoulder. And she whispered, you're special. And ran off, leaving a blubbering mass of humanity behind. Because God used a little baby to remind a youth minister of how special I am. So powerful was that moment in my life that I still remember it 40 years later. In fact, right now, Why don't you just turn to the person next to you, touch them on the shoulder, and just say you're special. Go ahead. Go ahead. All right. That's enough. Stop it. I remember when I was here before, I had to stop you guys. Stop it. You know what? Just, Just a small thing like that, just a small thing like that is significant It might not have seemed like that to Tracy Moss at the time, but it's significant. There's an elderly woman at Cornerstone Christian Church that meets on our campus. And I shared that illustration. And ever since then, ever since then, we can see each other across the room and she'll just point and do this. And I'll point and do that. And she'll whisper, And every time I see her, I can't wait to see her. Because she reminds me, just like little Tracy Moss. You ready? You ready? Let's let it go. That there are no insignificant people in the kingdom of God. Luke 1.37 says, For nothing is impossible with God. I remember the very first time I preached. I got to tell you, I'm scared to death. I'm scared to death to stand in front of people. It terrifies me to this day. I never wanted to preach, never wanted to be a preacher. In fact, hey, young man right there, would you come up here just for a second? Just, just for a second. No, 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 he doesn't. No, he's just walking. No, no, just right over here. Just right over here. Okay, hold my hand just for a second. Now, what's unique about my hand? It's freezing, right? That's because, oh, your hands are warm. That's because, that's because I'm terrified. I'm scared to death. Thanks, you can be seated. Yeah. Scared to death. I remember the very first time I preached, I didn't want to preach. Never wanted to preach. I was on a Christ and Youth Crusade team in Odessa, Texas. And 
we went in and we did this service on Friday night and then another one on Saturday night, one Sunday morning. Then we had a big closing service on Sunday night. And the guy who was supposed to be preaching that last night, we had kind of a stomach flu going through the group. And uh, so, so I was actually up leading music, which I didn't want to do that either, but I was up leading music. Ben Carroll, I mean, uh, Joe, George Corder, who played the guitar, he was sitting like right down here. And, and uh, so he had just finished special music. I was leading some music. I heard a noise in the hall and I looked over there and Ben, who was supposed to be preaching in just a couple of minutes, was out in the hall and he was, well, he was sick, like all over the hall. So, so I said, I said, George Corder will now come and do a special in song. And George's like, and I pointed, and George went, so he ran up and, and started singing. I ran out in the hall, and I was like, Ben, what are you doing? He says, what does it look like I'm doing? Blah. And I was like, no, 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 Ben, Ben, you have to preach. And he says, man, I can't preach. I'll throw up all of the stage. I'm like, Ben, I don't care. You have to preach. And he, he said, I can't preach. I said, well, what are we going to do? He said, you preach. I said, no, 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 no. God has not called me to this. I never want to preach. Ben, I'm terrified. He said, well, you're going to have to. I said, well, what would I, what would I even say? And he said, well, why don't you share something that you learned at, at, at DCC, you know, something in one of the classes that meant something to you. Well, I had, I had, we had just talked about the passion of the Christ, and in my mind, I saw it like the movie, okay? And so I thought, well, maybe I could share that. And he says, yeah, you're going to have to do that. And I was like, okay. So I got up to preach. George is going, and I'm like, so... Uh, <clears throat> so, so I get in the middle of it. I'm sharing the story of the passion of Jesus. And look, I'm ADD. Okay, that's attention deficit disorder. And so I had never paid attention to how somebody ended like preaching or a message. I never heard, I never paid attention. I was like lost in space. And so I got to the end and I didn't know how to end it. This is a true story. So I started the whole thing over again. <laughs> yeah, I can see you're sympathetic. Okay, so, so <clears throat> I'm looking at George and George is like, and I'm going, I, so, so you know how when you're talking and you're thinking at the same time, well, I'm talking and thinking, Whirly, you got to land this plane. You got to figure out how to do this. And I was like, I, I should have paid attention, but I didn't pay attention. What was I thinking? I should have paid attention. And so I'm still talking. I'm still sharing. And, and I was like, this is the worst experience of your life. And so I got through, through that again, and I still didn't know how to end it. So I started a third time. And George is like, and I'm going, oh man, the, you know, I will, I, I will never ever do this again. This is the worst experience of my life. I knew I should never ever be preaching. I know I shouldn't. And so I got to the end. And to tell you the truth, I still didn't know how to end it. So I, I can remember to this day the words I said. Here's exactly what I said. That's what Jesus did for you and for me. So if you want to do something about it, do it. It's the truth. So at that point, out of the corner of my eye, I saw the piano player is like making a, 
a hundred yard dash to the piano. I think he's done. I think he's done. And she started running to the piano. And then I didn't tell people to stand. So half of them were like, I think we're supposed to stand. And they were standing. The other part were sitting through the whole first verse. And then I was like, okay, stand. And so then they all stood. And I look at George and George is just like this. And I was like, oh, I was sick of my stomach like Ben. I was like, oh, this is the worst possible thing that could ever happen. And while I'm looking at George, I noticed some motion and somebody was walking down the aisle. And I thought, well, maybe they have to go to the bathroom. And they didn't. They came and sat like right here. And I looked at them and they looked at me and I was like, what are they doing? And I looked at George and George is like, and while we're doing that, three more people came forward. And I'm going, what do we do now? Before the invitation was over, seven people came forward. And neither George nor I had ever taken a decision before. And so I'm like, and George is like, and because I had the microphone, I said, George will now come and take the decisions. <laughs> it's true. It's a true story. Okay. And afterwards, I'm going, Worley, you are a preaching fool, man. Worley, you preach the first time you preach, seven people come forward except Jesus. Worley, you are incredible. And then I realize, no. Worley, you stunk up the place. And then I thought, wow. That's what it's like to be used by God. And I'm here to tell you this morning that if God can use me, he can use anybody, even you. Let me tell you why. It's right here in the Christmas story. And you already know. And you can say it with me because there are no insignificant people in the kingdom of God, not even me. He can use me, he can use you. I don't care if you're elderly or middle-aged or a teenager or rich or poor or a baby. The Christmas story tells us today, he can use you. If you don't feel significant, let me tell you, just wait. Just get in the story. Get in the story. And God will use even you. And if you're here this morning and you don't feel significant and you need somebody to pray with you, then come. If you're here this morning and don't know Jesus, the author of significance. Come, join, and be a significant. Christ died for you. He died for you. So you will be significant, and you are. So we're going to sing, and if you want to do something about it, because that's what Jesus did for me and for you. So if you want to do something about it, do it. 
as we stand and sing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.